Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm so excited to bring today's episode to you. It is with Nico Montanez. This episode was actually just recorded today and put out on the Road to the Trials podcast. I put it out here as well on Rambling Runner for two main reasons. First of all, we talk a lot about training in this episode, about 30 minutes. Nico takes a deep dive into his training, and I just know so many people love to hear when pro runners really take a deep dive into training. I feel like it helps runners of all abilities, and that's exactly what what Nico does today. And I was wasn't planning on putting it out on the Rambling Runner feed, but once he did that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, everyone has to hear this." Also, I want to tell people over the next month we're going to be doing a ton of Boston Marathon stuff. A lot of the people who are in the Road to the Trials series roster are going to be running Boston, so for the entire month of April, both before and after the race, are going to be all Boston Marathon stuff. So if you're interested in that, go over there and subscribe today. So let's get into it with Nico Montanez. Actually, quick shout out before we do. Hey, Vacation Races and Lagoon Pillows, thank you so much for sponsoring these episodes. I really appreciate their support, their help. If you can, if you want to do anything to help the Rambling Runner podcast, go take a look at the sponsors. I can't tell you how much it means to me personally and for the viability of the show. It really matters. So when you have great people like Vacation Races and Lagoon helping out and supporting the show, it really makes a big difference. So let's get into it with Nico Montanez. Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in 2024. Today, we got Nico Montanez, fresh off a fantastic performance. Nico, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you for having me back, Matt. (laughs) I can't wait to, to hear all about it. So tell the people where you ran last weekend. I ran in the streets of New York City. Uh, so it was a United New York City half marathon, and um, yeah, it was a it was a great race. It was fun. So, all right. So I know this was a race that is interesting because it always seemingly gets a lot of high level athletes every mm-hmm. single year. Um, but at the same time, especially for some of the New York City events, it's like in terms of a popularity. Thing, it, it does feel like a little a little niche, little not niche, right? It's, it's interesting because it's I don't know a lot of people who run the race, but it also brings in a huge crowd of people who will, um, from a pro's perspective, I should say the people who run the race, is there's a lot of really good half marathons that day. Like I know in New England, yeah. like the New Bedford half is that day, and that, that draws a ton of people in, in, in New England, which is not far from where you're running at that time. Um, you got that mm-hmm. race and some others as well that bring in Shamrock is that weekend. There's a lot of races uh, that are similar distance on that day, and I know for a lot of people that serves as like a really good time of year who are doing Boston prep, which you are one of those people. Mm. So talk to me about just the, the race selection process. Like, I guess, when does it start? Like, once you know you're doing Boston, like, what are some of the things that you think about in terms of the races you want to do? And ultimately the factors that play in to making the final decision. Yeah, that's a good, that's all those are good questions. So too, too many questions have... at once. So <laughs> feel free to take whichever one you want first. Awesome. Um, I actually didn't have this on my schedule at all. Um, they, the, my agent had reached out to me and asked if I wanted to run New York city half. I turned them down. Um, I was kind of under the last year for, before Chicago, I, I didn't race a single race because I, all eyes were on Chicago. It was laser focus. It was, you know, get everything I can out of this race. And it, it turned out to be a really great experience for me. Um, so this following this year, um, same thing. I was like, no, 
it's okay. Like I'll, I'll pass. Um, especially after the way cross season had ended for me, not so great. So I wasn't really enthusiastic to race. I was just put my head down, train, hide in the mountains, and then come out really fit, come Boston. Um, but then the more I thought about it, uh, it kind of just was like, man, that'd be kind of cool to run in, in New York City. And I've never, I've never been um, in terms of like a marathon or on the streets of New York City. I've only been to the Armory. So I haven't really got that true experience, I think, of, of uh, you know, sightseeing and racing. And so uh, that was something that I finally wanted to put on the calendar. And um, so I told Ray, told my agent, uh, I told Andrew and, um, you know, Sam calls up Andrew and goes, hey, you know, what's the deal? He turned us down and then now he wants to race. Like, what what's going on? Um, I, and it wasn't like, uh, it just kind of wanted to get like, okay, hey, like, you know, like, what's, what's the deal here? So, um, I don't know, I kind of felt cool. Like, maybe Sam's calling my coach to figure out, like, you know, what, what, what's the deal? What's going on here? Um, so, yeah, that happened. And then, uh, you know, training had been going well, um, but I didn't really know where I was at. I, it was just more of like, this is the perfect timing because it's still four weeks out, three and a half weeks out before uh, Boston. Uh, we would do a really hard session anyway. Um, so why not go and race and try to earn some money uh, on top of that? Um, but also it was a way for me to kind of like rebound from cross uh, and have zero expectation coming into this race and then um, see what what would happen, see where, where my fitness was because I, I didn't have any idea. You know, uh, training here in Mammoth has been hectic. Um, we've had a lot of snow. Has it been the snowiest place in the world over the last two months? I saw that stat yeah. somewhere. Yeah, no, it has been. And we're north of like 650, uh, maybe it's north of 630 inches of snow. That's a lot of snow. 630 yeah. inches of snow? Yeah, yeah, we're north of that now. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, that's like above a house. <laughs> I feel like... You should like, see the, where's my you should house? See the I windows. Don't, I don't know where it is. Like, you, you come yeah, back to no. Mammoth from New York, you're like, where's my house? I don't know, there's just a bunch of snow everywhere. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, training for that and then preparing my mind for that and really just going in there. And I knew the course was going to be hard and difficult and it's hilly and... Um, so this was just great prep. All I kept thinking was like, great prep, great prep, great prep. Um, and thankfully, um, you know, Sam was offer, was able to offer me a little bit of money. Um, obviously, like hotel and travel are usually comped for these type of bigger races. So that was nice. Um, but I wasn't expecting anything, especially because I asked so late in the game. And with the feel that they bring to New York City, I mean, Kiplimo and Cheptegei. I mean, those two alone are... Um, worth a lot so i was just thankful to even be there and um i didn't really focus too much on the field there's just more of like okay i came here to accomplish one goal and that was to figure out where i am at um how can i run strong and then um you know kind of be a different person from cro- the cross season that i didn't finish so well um so yeah it's so funny because like it's so interesting how the ending of cross is obviously played a big role in you just from a mental perspective when it comes to racing, because preceding that you had a number of good races. Like you ran exceptionally well for like a year and a half. It's like you had this one experience and it seems to be, um, you know, 
weighing on you or or was weighing on you to some degree. You mentioned it now several times in, in like this, the five minutes we've been talking. <laughs> so has that always been the case with you? Like you, 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 the negative races have a far greater impact than say like the positive races can have on your psyche. I know oftentimes you see like with coaches that like, like for like for for basketball or football, things like that, they say like, Hey, like, the, the losses take much more of a toll than like the winning can provide like the opposite effect. Right. Do you feel yeah. like the same sort of effect happens for you? Um, to an extent. Yeah. I think the reason that cross hurts so much was that I like abandoned, I realized like I abandoned myself. Um, I started to question like uh, where my fitness was and I kind of fell in like this. <sighs> it's interesting. Cause I, I don't want to throw the word depression out, you know, just whatever. Um, but I felt like I had lost all belief in myself. And so I had defeated myself before I even got to the start line. And so that New York City for me was re-engaging in that, re-establishing that belief system. And so, um, you know, I, I'm okay with bad races if, if if it's I gave everything, but I didn't give one like single energy I felt like to to cross. I mean, I started the race. Um, but it was long over before I even got to Virginia. So that one was just like, all right, we got to take a we got to take a step back and realize who you are again and and what it means to be a runner. And so it just like it kept dawning on me, like, yeah, New York City is like where I can take out my anger, if you will. Um, and maybe not anger, but just like that belief system and then hopefully inspire other people along the way. So. And you, in our first conversation, you talked openly about just your time with you know, talking to, um, you know, a therapist and things like that. Was there any talk of like how to reframe cross and, and how to reframe it in a way to, to use it either as fuel or as a positive moving forward? Yeah, we definitely reframed it. Um, he went over a little bit of an exercise with me the night before the cross race and he asked me, um, I might butcher it, but he asked me, what would it mean to make team USA and to wear that jersey and to go to Australia and um it was only after the race that he was like yeah I could tell you had trouble answering that question because you made this race so big so so much bigger than it needed to be um and so that was the refocus and restructure was like seeing the field for New York City knowing it's a brutal course um being in New York alone you know it's like everything grabs your attention and you can't really focus so it was like, who cares that I'm in New York City? I, I care, but um, who cares about the field? I care a little bit, but it was like refocusing and saying, I am here to do one thing. And that's like reestablishing like who I am. And like this marathon, this half marathon in New York City is no different than maybe a half marathon in San Diego. In San Diego. They're the same distance. I kept telling myself like, no, like New York isn't longer than the other. And so uh, that was like some mental tools that I had to develop again, uh, which is like, I wouldn't say shocking, but um, really cool to know that like it, the le like learning process never stops. Um, but just understanding like, even if it is something huge like New York City, like it doesn't need to be bigger than me. So just got there and raced and it's like an everyday, everyday thing, you know? Yeah, I wonder if if approaching race day for a pro is harder than it is for an amateur to, to approach it in that sense, right? Because it'd be very mm -hmm. easy, and I'm sure you've done this, where it's like, hey, 
this isn't just like a race I'm doing. This is literally my job. This is my livelihood. I have sponsors. I got this. I get this. Right. Like not that you want to go down that. I'm not trying to like put that in your head at all, but I can see how it would be easy for someone to spiral down that. Right. Just to like to go down that because like people can spiral with much less, right? There are plenty of amateur runners listening yeah. to this who maybe felt very similar thoughts before their race where like nothing was externally tied to the result of anything besides just like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, because there's plenty of amateurs who'd be like, all right, like I asked my spouse to like, you know, mm-hmm. like sacrifice their weekends for me or like I have time away from my kids to do this. And like, if I don't do well, like what what would it all mean? And like, I've been there. I've spiraled like that before. So um, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting right. to hear, hear that. But at the same time, like, as a pro athlete, I can imagine it feeling like the stakes or it's it's you know connecting the stakes to the outcome could be so much more tangible as opposed to just being like hey it's all about the process it's be like yeah it's easy for you to say but like <laughs> but the, the results actually really matter to me um so how are you able to handle both sides of that and to, to and like I, I almost want to use like a golf analogy where it's like the only way to like swing a golf club really well and not that i'm great at it, is like you hold the club and you can't hold it too tight like if you hold the club too mm. tight you're actually gonna be less flexible and you'll hit it less far even though you may be trying harder you'll actually hit it less far because you lose all the flexibility in your hand so if you have to like to hold it tight enough but not too tight to mm-hmm. like to manage it, and it seems like from a mental perspective, from a racing side of things, that you kind of want to have that same duality. Yeah, yeah. There, no, there's. You're right. There is some like expectation still. So I don't want to make it seem like I was just in there and then out, and then like I didn't give a care. So, but like I definitely cared about uh, every. Like I thought about the sponsors and you know other people running in an A6 uniform and what it would mean if I beat or didn't beat them and so those things crossed my mind Uh, i think the reason that i'm able to be successful with it now is because i have had experiences where i do go with this and this is just what i do and um having that expectation of like uh like not really putting too much emphasis has worked in the past so i have something to look back on every time i do kind of spiral because that that'll happen uh, time and time again, I'm sure at the Olympic trials, you know, the biggest stage where you have to be top three, um, that'll happen there. But I can be able to look back and look at past experiences and say, oh, yeah, that that worked out for me. Um, because I have had in the past where putting all my eggs in one basket has not worked out. Um, and so I don't want to, like, relive those moments because I know what the outcome typically is. And so this outcome of, like, not not applying too much pressure it's like that perfect dose. So, um, and then it helps, you know, when, when, um, you know, my former BYU teammate was there, Rory Linkletter, like that was, I was awesome to just kind of sit with him and we've been through this before. Like, I know what that feels like being his teammate and racing nationals. Um, so like, just like, a like runners are kind of like the same, like we, we know we have this immense pressure on us, but at the end of the day, like we're all here for each other too. And, and, uh, we want to bring out the best in each other. Absolutely. And I wonder if that's also one of the benefits of just racing more. Do you feel like the more you race, especially in, uh, I guess, high level competition, that that sort of, you know, handling that process becomes easier or is it always just, it's always tricky in no matter how, how often you do it? I think for me, it's, it's tricky. Um, you know, and I have to, I can, I like, I know some like signs now where I'm like, oh, I'm putting way too much pressure on myself for this race, you know? So I'm able to identify those. So I think for me, it's like 
it's tricky and it's not tricky. Like it, it kind of bounces back and forth. Yeah. All right. So you're going into this race. You're going against some really high level competition. You finished seventh overall, second American. <laughs> it's time of 63 flat, 63 flat. Is that right? 63. Oh, oh, yep. <laughs> right. So like, right. You ran an incredible race. It's a loaded field. It always is. So when you're heading into a race like this, where you certainly have enough time from a recovery perspective to have it not influence, like how, how you're going to do in Boston, how does it factor into your training? Like, does your training differ? Cause you have this half coming up or is it the same sort of training that you would normally do for Boston during like weeks, you know, eight, seven, six in the countdown to Boston? Like how does this play a part in that? All right, everybody I want to take a quick break and give a shout out to Lagoon. That's right. Lagoon sleep. You heard me in the intro talking about their pillows. Oh my gosh. They are amazing this year. I'm really trying to take better care of myself both before and after my runs. And one of the areas that I'm really focusing on is sleep. And not just about the time you the time you spend in bed, obviously that's important, but also making sure you have quality and not just quantity. And that's a big thing, right? We talk about all the time with training, quantity and quality, same thing with sleep. And part of that is your pillow. I have the Fox pillow. That was the one that I got after taking the online quiz, which was really interesting to take. You, you figure out like, what, what exactly do I need? What do I need my pillow for? How do I sleep? What are my preferences? And it makes a big difference. And this is a pillow I've had for over a month now. It's coincided with my biggest 30 days of training that I've ever had. And I feel really, really good. And I know a big reason for that is because of how I'm sleeping and how I'm sleeping is affected by my pillow and things are just going so well for me. Waking up from my morning runs has never felt better. I'm refreshed. I'm pain-free in large part thanks to Lagoon Pillow. So go to lagoonsleep.com. That's L-A-G-O-O-N sleep.com forward slash rambling. Take their awesome two-minute sleep quiz to find your match and then use code rambling for 15% off your first purchase today yeah uh we definitely wanted to like do a slight taper but not an immense taper um so i the last like two days before the race i tapered um which is like uh probably just running like 10k worth both days in central park so the race was sunday saturday ran 10k strides drills and then friday uh would be another 10k of work um but besides that everything was pretty on par with high mileage if you will um so yeah and i still did a pretty hard workout uh that wednesday um so yeah nothing really like changed too much ex- except just like two extra days of rest with like no doubles um and that that seems to help me a lot so um but i knew like the legs could feel fatigued but that's okay because uh you could still push through that you know um which is always the fun part of racing so figuring that part out for me um but yeah, for me personally, like I, I do want to respect the race too because Sam, the elite coordinator, flew us all out and paid for us and gave us entry fees. Like I want to respect him too and not just be like, oh yeah, I got 15th, you know, and thanks and run off with the money. You know, it's like for me, it's still important to place well. Um, ASICS is watching, my coach is watching, uh, my agent, like people are watching. And so for me and the Mammoth Track Club, it's like I want to taper a little bit so I can represent um everyone well because it's it's championship race you know the way i see it so absolutely and is there a big difference or what is the difference i should say uh between half marathon training and marathon training at your level doesn't seem like there's a huge difference in pace so is it what 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 Mm -hmm. is the difference if there is any 
I think um, if I were to like train specifically for the New York City half, I would have uh, lowered my mileage uh, a bit um, and then focused on the more threshold, higher intensity, um, for example, like three by three mile and maybe going 440 to 445 pace per three mile repetition. Um, so something at that like high ceiling, high, you're getting your engine really high. Um, and then maybe you scale back from like 130 and 40 miles to 115, 110. Um, so something like that. But it is, you know, you're still going out for your doubles. Like, I think uh, what people should know is that like the marathon is 99% aerobic. I don't have the percentages on the half, but it's still pretty it's pretty much aerobic. the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you need you need that base, right, to um, to sustain you, especially if you want to go and shoot for a PR. So, um, but I think like yeah, higher intensity versus like okay, let's focus on five minute pace. You know, I go a little bit quicker for maybe some of my repetitions. Right, and I think there's there's these gradations within like the aerobics the aerobic side of things right so whether you're doing the five zone model or the three zone model um you know you can hit you know these moderate you know moderate being a, a term of art here but you know these moderate paces for whatever the person's doing that can be at the higher end of aerobic if not slightly leaning past aerobic depending on how you know things are, are progressing or um you know how deep into the workout it is but at the same time like you said like it is it can be significantly aerobic but at the same time like when you're thinking about this stage in a marathon build are you ever touching like 5k pace and workouts beyond like strides at this at this point in the game or like when are you doing or where where does the fast stuff come in and where does it start to get cycled out in a, a typical training block for you yeah that's a good that's a good question because like sometimes i feel like i i don't know if i would say i would be doing it wrong um but i think my base has allowed me to push the envelope more. So, for example, um, like my doubles now are up to six, six and a half miles in the evening. Um, so that's, you know, 45. Um, it just depends. If I can get on the – if I'm usually on the treadmill these days. <laughs> um, so that's about 730 to 720 pace. But if I'm outside, you know, on the roads, it's closer to 715, 710. And that's just something – I haven't really like, okay, I have to go hit this pace. It's like, it just starts to come naturally. That first mile is like eight minutes. And then like, you kind of get past that and you're like, oh, I feel great. Um, And so my point to that is uh, because of all this high mileage, I feel like I've had in the base and I'm starting to do now, um, I'm able to kind of unload on my Tuesday sessions, which are our speed um, sessions. And, um, you know, it's no longer that 440 paces like, I don't consider that speed. I consider that threshold. Um, for me, like if I, we had mile repeats, for example, um, when we do, we did them yesterday because I got back from travel and gave me a couple of days. Um, and I was able to close out my last mile on 420. Um, on, on the road, just out point to point mile repeats. Um, and so for me, I think it's really important to touch that speed because you don't want, you don't want 450 to, to feel fast. Um, or right. 450 and 420 pace for you is what we're talking about is like basically critical velocity close to 5k pace yeah. depend right but yeah. you're also at is it 420 but you're at elevation so that basically is 5k pace if not yeah, a little faster. Yeah and, yeah yeah and and I'll warm up and do it you know um 
I might start at 435, 440, depending on how I feel. Um, but by the third third rep, you know, I'm, I'm hitting mid 420s. Um, and we go down in, in elevation. We go down to 4,500 feet, uh, okay. which is still high. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm able to breathe better and, and, and develop a lot of power. Um, but I think that's so critical in, in marathon training. Um, and maybe some people will argue that. I don't know. But I just think, like, again, I don't want my race pace to feel like it's a 420 effort. Because if that's the case, then I think I'm in trouble. So. Yeah, that's a great point, especially when you're talking about not only the fitness side of things, but also like the the psychological part, right? Where even if you're like, hey, we did all this work and I spent all this time at marathon pace, like we really dialed it in. If you feel like you're if, – if, if your feelings about the pace um, differ from like what your body's actually experiencing, uh, I don't even know if that's possible, but I can see how that <laughs> that, that discrepancy would, would, would be something that's significant – and you're, when you're going doing like that workout, like I love to walk through this. So you're you're coming back yeah. from an extremely hard effort, right? Um, you you start you're doing this this workout, the mile repeats. You know how many repeats are you doing? You said you're at 4,500 feet. What does the recovery look like in terms of not only duration, but is it walking recovery? Is it jogging recovery? Like how how exactly is that workout going? So this this is a classic Joe V Hill uh, VO2 max workout and. Um, you know, for me, it was seven by mile and three minutes rest. Um, but by the by the second minute, I'm ready to go again. But that would defeat the purpose, I think, of getting to those faster speeds. Um, so I take the full three minutes, even though I feel very recovered after like 90 to two minutes. Um, so, yeah, just classic VO2. And it's really important to just get down to those, those whatever that, that is for you, too. Like, it doesn't have to be you know, 420, it's whatever you feel like I'm getting the most out of myself today. And and then you learn along the way. Um, but yeah, I, for this one, the coach was like, all right, you travel, you race, that's respected a little bit, but I felt good. Um, and I think that speaks to just the mileage and, and maybe I just did a really great recovery. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but um, I just felt good. So I just, I kind of went for it and yeah. Are you getting splits along the way? Are you looking at a watch? Or are you merely going by effort? <clears throat> Coach does uh, every 200 meters. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm checking pretty frequently, I would say. Um, but nothing specific. Like if I go out and the first lap is 66, I'm like, okay, we'll probably slow. But like, it's good to kind of get out fast and, and like feels what this feels like. And then try to sustain that, you know, and um there's some undulation, undulation in, in, and one of the reps going back. And so that's that's a harder last 400. So I definitely make sure to push. Um, but for me, I, you know, I, I think I've had teammates in the past <laughs> get really upset with me because I, if I sense any hesitation in myself, I will pick up the pace. If I sense that I'm getting fatigued, I will just go like, I will throw in a, a 100 meter and not all out, but I just like I want to push myself so much that I'm I'm making sure I'm getting the most out of myself. Um, and so for me in practice, you know, I feel sometimes I feel bad for my teammates because they're like the pace just shifted like all of a sudden, and, and I'm like I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like I I just don't want to I don't want to be that guy, but I am that guy. You know, I just like I I have this opportunity and I want to take advantage of it. Um, um, but there have been times where I have gone to 
too hard. Um, uh, you know, maybe maybe Andrew, my coach, wouldn't say that, but I think there have been times where like, okay, I could have scaled that back a little bit. Um, I did this workout probably two weeks before New York, maybe more, and I was able to close my last mile on 417. A little quick. Um, and that's why I scaled it back and was like, okay, now I learned my lesson and 417 is probably a little quick for what I'm doing for the marathon, but that was nice to know. Um, and times don't really mean anything. It's just all effort. So, um, but it was cool to like learn from that experience and now scale it back to workout. Um, and I think I ended up averaging better this mile repeat session than I did the last one. So, um, I think like progress is, is, is what it's all about. So, you know, times are yeah. nothing. And I think it's important for people to think about this who are listening to this, like your mile repeats may be very different than some of the listeners might be thinking about it. Like they might be thinking, like, Oh, if I'm doing seven by mile at critical velocity slash VO two pace, that might, for them, it might be like seven thirties to eight thirties mm-hmm. or even nine minute pace yeah. where it's like, yeah, right, well, you might not necessarily want to be doing 72 minutes of work if you're doing nine minute pace on your, mm-hmm. your, you know, your seven by mile, right? That would be a ton yeah. of work at, you know, yeah. like at a really high effort. Whereas for you, again, I think this is where time on feet versus mileage can play such a big part when you, when you, people start to really think about these times. Like, again, you're running, you know, roughly, you know, 430 ish. For a lot of these, four twenty to four thirty, which is very different than maybe some people listeners, just in terms of trying to, them trying to think about their own workout. So I just want to put that out there, not as a caveat, yeah. more just yeah. like a hey, make sure that people aren't like transposing. Oh well, Nico's doing this, so I'm yes, gonna do yeah. it. It's like this workout right. could be very different. Where like for the some <laughs> brothers person might just be like, no, maybe six by five minutes would be a very kind of a similar workout as for you, like seven yep. by mile would be. Yeah, I love that, and and. Uh, the biggest thing that I want to get at now that we're talking and it gets me excited to talk about this because I I feel like I've just been blessed with so much information that I can share. And, and maybe some of it is wrong. Maybe some of it's like a hoax. But I, I feel like, like you said, that 30 minutes of work, six by five minutes, like as long as you're in that zone and you're working that zone, like I could have done, I don't know, seven by twelve hundred. And, and that would have been, been fine because I'm in that zone for three plus minutes, four plus minutes. Like that's really what it's all about. And so that's what I mean. Like it's not about the times. It's not about how I, um, how cool it is to say that I closed this mile. It was like, how long were you in that zone and, and what was the purpose of the workout? So, and the, the t- faster times just come with being able to warm up into the run and it's your last one and, and, you know, you can push yourself a little bit. So that's kind of like what I'm trying to get at the most. Yeah, for sure. And obviously when you think about how hard the effort's going to be, it, it's, it has to be related to the recovery piece, right? Like if you were doing yeah. one minute jogging recovery after every roughly four to four minute, 30 second interval, you might've paced mm-hmm. this a little differently. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I did actually forget to answer that question. So I was just a standing three minute rest. Um, so no jogging. I mean, you could have, Coaches, he's indifferent. Um, but again, it's a VO2 max workout. So if I'm go- jogging for three minutes and my pace starts to slow, uh, we might switch to a, a, a standing. Uh, well, we would switch to a standing uh, rest because that the purpose is now defeated if we're not hitting that zone again. You know. So now, 
do you plan on doing a workout like this or a similar like a workout with the same sort of intent as this uh, in the three and a half weeks leading into Boston? Or is there more of a um, situation where you're kind of tightening up what you're doing and making it more race specific? Yeah, I would say every Tuesday. Um, so now we've done miles. Next will probably be K's. Um, closer to race week, we'll do 800s, which fours and eights are reserved for the beginning of the season and the end of the season. And then everything else in between is that the miles, 12s, K's, 2Ks, the real like, this is hard, you know. So, um, so yeah, this it'll be like we pretty much transition every Tuesday, but what we're, we're doing mostly like fast speed. So if we do K's next time, you know, I would hope um, if I'm feeling good and I'm not too tired from the mileage that I'm going through the same pace as like a 430. So I think that's like around 250 per K. Um, so nothing crazy, you know, just like filling that out and just making sure that feels good. So what does the rest of the week look like? So you have your Tuesday track day normally, not this week because of the race, but normally it's track day Tuesday. Do you have a, you know, a tempo day and then a long run day identified ahead of time? Do you work on like a normal seven day schedule? Like what does the normal schedule and timing of things play out? We do work on a, on a very uh, uh, normal seven day schedule. Um, Andrew got that from coach Vigil and Bob Larson. Um, since the race and travel, uh, things got a little bit jumbled, but so yeah, Thursday was our, our speed session. Um, Saturday, I will do 200s, um, something that me and my teammate uh, developed last year to keep that speed um, like faster than what I would go for my mile repeats. Um, and so I really liked that uh, implementation. So I'll do that Saturday. And then Monday will be our, uh, our last long hard run, which are definitely like my favorite. And I think, I mean, you can't say one workout like separates you from from anyone else or anything else. But I feel like my long run workouts have drastically improved. And that's what's helped me become the marathoner that I am. Um, so I'm really looking forward to Monday. So are you doing intensity three times a week then or is it four times a week? Um. So let's see. Not, Tuesday, if you're not yeah. including strides, not including strides as intensity, yeah. just more like the, the scheduled workout type stuff. And, and I would say from an intensity perspective, I mean, like if like not counting like an easy long run, but say okay. if you put like, you know, workout segmentation within the long run, or if it's like, Hey, we're doing a fast finish, we're moving up to moderate pace or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, so on a normal seven day week, it's Tuesday speed, Friday tempo, Saturday long run. So in a way, um, I would say, I would say twice a week because then it's every other week is that three times I'm going harder. Um, okay. So we just kind of switch it up. We definitely switch it up so we can give that body the rest it needs. So what is obviously I'm not like I'm not asking you to be like all right, like tell me why you don't agree with your coach, but like I more like if you say you were in charge of your training, do you mm -hmm. personally like doing? tempo day apart from long run or would you like to have them like tempo within the long run because i know some people like to do both mm. and some people like to yeah. segment it and some people maybe go back and forth i think knowing what i oh, like what i've experienced and learned now i like i like the tempo just being the tempo and then the long run just being the long run um because tempo for i mean i know tempo has like a a bunch of different like definitions um but I like to go faster than race pace on my tempos. 
And then long run is what I feel is equivalent to race pace at, at the altitude that we're running at. So it's different for me. Yeah. So, so for your long runs, you kind of work up to marathon effort. Yeah. I, I, I now, now what our long runs look like. So we do every other week we do one week might be an easy two hour and 30 minute long run. So we're not, we're not doing anything crazy. It's probably six thirty pace at best. Uh, if we're up at, at 8,000 feet. Um, and, and to put that, that in perspective, that, that's, you know, 90 seconds per mile slower than like marathon pace <laughs> for people mm-hmm. like, yes. what does 630 pace mean? Like, that's fast. Like, well, it's not mm-hmm. fast for Nico. This is like, yeah, <laughs> this is like a minute and a half slower than marathon pace. I mean, obviously you have to you know, factor in the ele- uh, elevation here, but I just want to put that in perspective for people in case they're losing sight of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It, that's kind of like, it's good to aim for that. Cause I used to go so slow. Um, like if I averaged seven minutes, that was a good day. And I realized I wasn't really increasing my my aerobic zone, my aerobic fitness, um, until I started to kind of go, quote unquote. Because yeah, that was probably zone life. one for you, seven minute pace. Sometimes if you were like slower. at your uh, peak fitness. Yeah, sometimes I'd go slower, and then I get into the marathon, and I'd be like, "What? What is this feeling after twenty miles? I don't get it. I thought I was super fit, right? I can close a mile in four twenty, um, but it doesn't matter." <laughs> So, so yeah, I, I learned that the long run needs to be a little more efficient as you get fitter and you'll, you'll, it's more of just like a feeling thing, you, you know, to pick up the long run, but I would never pick it up faster, faster than six minute pace. I, cause knowing that the next week I have, um, the fast long run, you know, the golden long run. And so what that looks like is a two mile warm up, and then I go down to 4,500 feet cause that's where there's no snow, thankfully. And I start, depending on if I have a downhill so I can prepare for Boston, I'll shoot the downhills pretty quickly. And then the rest of the way is pretty, pretty standard. But I try to aim for an average of 515 to 520 uh, at 4,500 feet for, I've done that now. I did one in Flagstaff. So I started at 90 minutes and I averaged 525. Great day. Uh, And then I did an hour 45 minutes here at 4,500 feet and I averaged 520. Um, and then now I'm going, I'm moving up to two hours and the purpose of this workout is not so that I can look fancy with my pace, but to determine, okay, this is what I think sub five would feel like at sea level. And then the concentration for two hours. So my goal on Monday is to, is to get 22 plus miles in, depending on, you know, how fast I go and attack the downhills and then stay really emotionally controlled throughout the entire run. So the purpose isn't to kill this workout. It's just to concentrate, take my fluids. And then, um, you know, after mile 20, 21, 22, the legs start to they feel like lead. And that's what this workout is trying to accomplish is to know and t- teach my body and my brain, hey, I can still move at a relatively quick pace, even though my legs feel like they're about to fall off. So I love yeah. that idea of, of maintaining focus for two hours because anyone who's mm-hmm. run a marathon knows that that's, that's exactly right. Like that, that is yeah. a major part of yeah. it. But oftentimes when we think about training and say for a lot of people, the thought of like being able to concentrate for a certain amount of period, for a certain period of time, doesn't really figure into the training calculus it's more like, all right, I want to make sure like my legs are strong enough and my fitness is, is good enough. And I practice my marathon pace and, and all of those things. Whereas like focus and concentration often are not words that get thrown around 
in a training plan. Yeah. So it's really interesting to hear mm-hmm. you say that. And I think it also dovetails nicely with going back and talking about your race last weekend, because certainly if you're going to be racing, your focus has to be on high, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. there. Unlike a lot of people like say myself, I go to a race. It really is a time trial, right? Like I'm not mm-hmm. really racing the people next to me. Mm-hmm. There's thousands of people. And I don't even know, like, even if I'm like, Hey, what I'm, I'm running against the other masters runners. It's like, I don't know who the, who's a masters runner around here. Uh, so it's more like just like this group time trial. Whereas you go to New York, you're racing. You are there. You see Ben True. You see Reed Fisher. You see other people. You're like, all right, it's go time. So talk to me about how you approach that race with that in mind and just how the race, like how, how I guess, well, we can go step by step, but I guess approaching race day, how do you, how do you go into that with the idea of running your paces, but also competing and what that feels like going from the intellectual exercise of playing that out versus like, all right, now I'm actually running and here's how it actually is playing out. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's all about staying in the front pack as long as I can and surviving. And then if I do happen to get dropped um, and there, and there's some like you have to use, like you have to be smart. Like if, if uh, those guys went out and like, 420 pace then yeah of course i'm not going with them um but so i have to use some sort of uh you know like smarts there and and understanding and what i can do but um i think giving the given the race conditions it was 31 degrees at the start i believe and then 13 to 12 mile an hour winds from the east so it was cold uh and i didn't think anyone was breaking away necessarily so i knew that helped me uh, kind of just accept the fact that this was going to be a slower day. And I think that really helped my mindset. And so when that race went off, our first mile was five minutes. Wow. We're talking about the world wow. record holder in the half marathon is running. He's jogging. Yeah. Um, this is, it sounds, this I, sounds like the Olympic mile where everyone just kind of jogs the yeah. first like 600 meters. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I thought about like three miles in or four miles in. I, I looked at him. Well, I mean, he didn't see me look at him, but I thought like, this must be the easiest payday for him. Like this has to be, <laughs> this has to be like, I just like, I couldn't get over it. I was like, maybe I feel too good. Cause I'm thinking too much. I got to go. Um, but yeah, I just like, I thought of funny moments like that throughout the race. Um, yeah. But for me, it was like, I know that I can run with the top Americans. I don't, it's not about being better than anyone. I don't think I'm better than Ben true or Reed Fisher or whoever else you want to throw out. I just think like, for me, it's about having this ultimate belief system that, when I go out and race, I can run with the best in the country and in the world. And if I hold that, like I, then I end up competing well with some of these, some of these guys that I, again, I don't think I'm better than, I just, I have this belief system that I can be with them and they inspire me to, to do well. And so, um, yeah, just having that, given the race conditions and how I knew it was going to be slow. And, and so it was just an awesome experience to be like, okay, no one's really breaking away unless they have some serious, like, serious you know mental strength and and heart you know and so knowing that it was going to be probably a big pack for a while was like very comforting for me because i run the best off those type of races i think in my opinion uh and so that's just like okay i know that i can pick it up the second half and and do really well Hey, folks, let's talk about vacation races. So vacation races host half marathons, ultra marathons, and trail running festivals at national parks around the country in week-long running adventures all around the world. These global adventures offer 
daily 7 to 12K trail runs in the morning and afternoon activities that include high, like, high adventure things like glacier treks, zip lining, whitewater rafting, or cultural activities like wine tasting, falconry, his, uh, historic tours, cooking classes, just these things. They offer a, just such a wide range of things. If you're worried about pace, don't be. They require runners to maintain around a 20-minute mile pace. So as long as, you can, as long as you're basically moving with purpose, you're going to be just fine. These adventures are all all-inclusive, which means hotels, in-country transportation, meals, drinks, activities, and swag are all covered in the trip. And they just announced their full 2024 calendar, which you're going to want to check out. Again, I know we just started 2023, but you got to plan these trips way in advance. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They have 11 different destinations. Examples are like Alaska, Costa Rica, Croatia, Ecuador, Iceland, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, Patagonia, so many. It really is remarkable. You can go check them out at vacationraces.com. New customers can use Rambling 200 for $200 off any global adventure trip that is not currently sold out. Also, you can use code Rambling15 for 15% off any of the half marathons or ultra marathon adventures that are not currently sold out. So remember, it's code Rambling200 for the global adventures and Rambling15 for 15% off the half marathon or ultra marathons. That's interesting because it's, it seems to be in conflict with how you approach some of your track days, right? You said before, like on this track day, it's like, Hey, you take a very proactive approach to yeah. pacing off of how you feel. Whereas like the way you just described race day, it seems like you're much more reactive. So like, Hey, what's going on around me? And then, you know, other yeah. people kind of dictate the terms and I'll just kind of like hang in there. I, you, I feel like you're like piercing my soul right now because I truly feel that. And like, I, like I'm getting like goosebumps because I, I don't know why I attack workout days, maybe because I know the course and I've been here for five years and I know coach and I know he's going to be on the bike and I know when to push and when not to push. So like maybe that has more to do with it, but that's something that I'm trying to develop and bring, bring it out of myself. And New York city was the perfect race. So even though I ran 63, um, I was, uh, and you can, I don't know. I feel like maybe Reed Fisher or Frank Laura would back this up. Like I felt like I was pushing that chase pack a lot to go and like try to catch guys like Andy Butchard and Cheserek, the guys who have fallen off. Um, and at one point in the race, when we did separate, I was like, I don't know why I hesitated, but like looking back, I'm like the way that I felt in Thursday's workout, the way that I felt, you know, after the race, I'm like, I could have gone harder, you know? And I don't know if that means that I beat guys like Zuhair and I placed top three or beat Venture. Like, I don't know what that means, but I know for me, it just means like back to the drawing board and how, how many races is it going to take for me to stop being reactive? And I think that you need, you need to be a little bit of reactive, but you need to be proactive. You know, Dina Castor is a great example. She just freaking kills people. Like, she, when she raised, she was, come get me, you know, let's see what you got. And so, like, I want to develop that type of mentality. And so I felt like I did certain parts of the races because I, I found myself pushing the chase pack, going and catching people. Um, like, hey, I don't want those guys to get too far. Um, but, I again, I was still, like, the wind hit and the cold hit, and I was still far behind, but I would still push. So, yeah, I'm in this weird... I don't know if we'd call it a dilemma, but where I'm like, I approach practices 
different than races. And Coach Eisstone always has taught me the way you train and practice is the way you probably are going to race. And for some reason, I'm still being that hesitant person. Uh, maybe because I don't want to blow up. I don't know. But um, I mean, you yeah. had a good day. I mean, it's, it's not as if like it's, it didn't work yeah. out. I mean, I also wonder, I'd love, love for you to answer this too, is that like part of this is also race length dependent, right? Like yeah. if you're running, yeah. you know, yeah. repeat miles, it's a different thing. For, even if like you're running a mile race in terms of like how aggressive can you be versus how reactive can you be? These are like split second decisions. Whereas like you're running a yeah. race that's an hour to two hours long. It's like, well, you just can't be like attacking like on, every, <laughs> on every whim. Right. So, yeah, you know, the, that's true. I feel like the longer the race, the more it behooves somebody to like be more reactive as opposed to where like an aggressive mindset might work better the shorter the race i don't know but you, you would know better than yeah. me but I, I can see how someone yeah. could make that justification no you make a really good point i i think because the pace was slow for all of us not just me i know like frank laura was up there pushing reed was up there pushing i mean heck he threw in a really hard move and it was funny because we chatted afterwards about how i thought i threw in so many i was like reed i threw in so many moves and i thought i would break people and i turn around and you're like even closer to me on my shoulder and Reed threw in his like big move at maybe 10 and a half, maybe 11. And he's like, yeah, dude, I threw in a really hard move. And I looked in like, I could see like the reflection off of like some glasses that in like, in like, um, in, in Times Square. And he's like, I could see like, I didn't drop anyone. So like, it was just that kind of day. Um, but you know, you learn something about yourself and, and it's just to be tough and to hang in there. And I don't know, knowing that you can make those moves and recover and still like have that hope. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I like the marathon. Yeah, you just don't go guns blazing. Um, there has to be some sort of, again, like emotional control. And, and that's what Monday is going to teach me is I know that I could rip for two hours. But what is the point? Because that defeats the purpose of, of this workout, you know? Right. I mean, look, you look at that, like the last Olympic trials, right? I mean, like mm. the guy who's, yeah. who's on this road of the trials <laughs> roster, like CJ freaking went out, right? Like he went yeah. out. Extremely yeah. proactive, made a really, really <laughs> aggressive move extremely early in the race. And you, uh, you know, no, no one went with him. It was just like, what? There goes CJ Albertson <laughs> doing CJ Albertson things. And it, yeah. it was a really aggressive move. And at the same time, you know, I think you, you ran really well at the trials, right? So you, you mm -hmm. had a situation where you could have gone with them, but you probably thought to yourself, like, this probably isn't the best move for me. And, mm -hmm. and I would argue you were probably right in terms of like the, that <laughs> sort of decision. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I, the trials is uh was a great stepping stone, I think. And I was twentieth and I'm dang proud of that twentieth place. I think I think I was two fifteen on the dot. Um and I was and you like, got that, and, you, was... and you took down all your BYU compatriots. Yeah, that that was fun. I can't can't deny that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, that was that was a tough day for a lot of people, that's for sure. Yeah. And it was amazing to see yeah. people who were who really were able to excel in that. It was it was certainly a, a, a unique situation. We were talking about in episode one. Um Last since last time we spoke, Tokyo happened. Now I don't know if if um, if you have a relationship with them. I know Cam Levins has done a lot of training in the U.S. and is someone who's been on a lot of the kind of the U.S. circuit uh, from a, a racing perspective. You know, he's a Canadian athlete, uh, just like your friend Rory, but someone who's like kind of omnipresent in the in the U.S. running scene as well. What did did you take anything at all? Um, not that you had to, just from him running such a fast time in Tokyo. Yeah, I definitely took notice. Uh, I was like following his live splits because uh, I, 
I don't think I think it was on FlowTrack, and I didn't have a subscription. Um, so I was just following along, and every split, he was like right up there with the leaders. And then my coach Andrew was like filling me in because he had a subscription. So he was telling me how great he looks, and I was like, wow, this guy's really going to pull it off. Um, and running the North American record, like getting it from Khalid Kanuchi, like that was so impressive. And so, yeah, I was like, oh, like the, he came out with the podcast very soon after that. And I listened to it, you know, and I was like, I wish he would have dove more into training and what that looked like. And we we have a rough uh, picture now, you know, three times a day, high mileage. Um, I even saw something that he... Three times a day? Yeah, he was up to 180 miles at oh some point. God. Yeah. Oh my god. He was training on a treadmill in an altitude tent. So amazing. Um and then doing he did th- double threshold workouts, so the Norwegian style. Oh, the Norwegian um, thing. Gotcha. Right, which I thought was like, man, this guy is just just tough as nails and so obviously I don't want to promote that cuz I don't think that works for anyone but him. Um but I just was so inspired and there's so many things to learn. And um, I followed his journey even after the world championships and for him to keep improving like that, it was just like such a, I don't know him personally, but gosh, I'm rooting for him. And it's even better that he's an ASICS athlete, I think. So, um, but yeah, it's just cool. And so like I went with the first thing I did was went straight to his Strava and he has, a, he does have a lot of double threshold workouts on there that he does. Um, but I pulled one of his workouts that my teammate told me about that I actually think I might try. Um, so we're kind of teetering back and forth about what we want to do. Um, but I was like, wow, what a great marathon prep workout. Like, I love that workout. And what so, is it? Do you remember off the top of your head? Um, I might butcher it, but it's like, it's either a, a K or, or a mile. And then you follow it up with a very hot, equivalent i think i think it's always i think it's a mile at race pace or faster and then you follow it up with a pretty quick recovery k and you do it again for times 10 so you're we're talking you know 20k of, uh, over 20k of work depending on how many reps you do um it's like a really he, hard float is that like the idea really i would say so but maybe for cam it was you know it was like he was able to whatever you can do to recover i think i want to say his i don't want to butcher it but his boat might have been like 330 per k which was like 530 but then he would he would do his miles and like i think 440 but his overall pace ended up being 445 if i'm not mistaken so um i was like wow okay like that talk about like the volume of work is what we look at here in the Mammoth Track Club. So if you can do that volume of work at that pace, that's a really good sign. So we might do that. And I, I'm inspired, honestly, by him. So, um, yeah, amazing performance. So There's a lot of ultra runners up in Mammoth <laughs> as well. So yeah. I'd love to get their take on, like, the 180-week, 180-mile-a-week. <laughs> like, we're talking, like, like the yeah. Anton Kropitschkas of the world just being like, I don't yeah. care about miles. I'm going to run for seven hours today or whatever. I mean, yeah. 180 miles a week. That is a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot it's to a recover lot. from. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes, like I said, three times a day, sometimes twice a day, but he, he was doing some pretty big work and I think it took a, a long time to get there. Um, but it's working now. So that's all that matters. So yeah, for sure. Um, Let's talk about footwear. You mentioned Asics. I love talking shoes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, 
you ran the half? Did you run in your – what shoes did you run in? And are they the same shoes that you would wear like for marathon distance? Do you differentiate half versus the marathon? I wore the Sky, the Sky Plus. Um, okay. It's something that I've used in my long concentration marathon long run workout. So I figured if I can do well and concentrate that long, then I can concentrate for an hour. So that's the race I'll be – or sorry, uh, the shoe I'll be using uh, for Boston. Um on my speed session days, I'll typically go with the Edge Plus. Um, but I've been told the Edge Plus might fit my stride better in my cadence. as a. Um, so I haven't tried it enough, I don't think, in longer workouts to justify like, hey, I'm comfortable with going with this type of shoe. But, um, you know, there have been people who have run really fast times in, in the Edge Plus. So the Edge Plus are also good. Yeah, I feel like the Edge Plus has the more traditional carbon fiber plate architecture that kind of scoops down and gets pretty low towards mm-hmm. the bottom of the midsole, just above the rubber. Whereas like the Sky Plus, um, which differentiates from the Sky, whereas like there's you almost have like a centimeter of foam between the plate and the bottom of the shoe, which I think would be I can see a lot of people, especially their four foot strikers slash running longer, mm-hmm. kind of liking that aspect of it a little bit more than the more aggressive plate yeah and that's what i think i think you hit it on the head is like i know i'm going for two plus hours so i want something that's going to be more cushiony out of my feet i don't want my feet to die <laughs> so absolutely um and then when you're when you're going through your normal week your weekly running stuff what, what shoes do you usually have in rotation and what do you use them for right so you mentioned like for you know yeah. the, the track workouts being more like the edge versus the long runs or maybe some of the, the tempo stuff being the, the the sky or the sky plus mm-hmm. um just from like an easy running or recovery run perspective so i'm rotating right now between three different types of shoes um i my new teammate that joined not too long ago uh, we were chatting and he kind of brought this idea up, like how good it is to switch up, rotate your shoes because uh, the Indian stock, it needs 24 hours to like recover, if you will. And so I was like, oh, it's kind of like, I guess that's smart. Like I didn't know any science behind it, but I thought, okay, like if I'm going to compress a shoe for an hour or 10 miles or whatever it is, I want that foam to kind of recover and, and the shoe to be at its best for me. So right now I'm rotating between the three different shoes, the Kayanos, the, um, the Nova Blast and um, the Cumulus. And I, I like kind of like where it's going because I feel like I am getting the most out of my shoe and the most out of my buck too. So Interesting. Yeah. So I guess my, 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 guess my question would be, why not just have like, if you had a favorite shoe, just be like, all right, I'm going to have three pairs of like the Nova Blast, mm. right? Or three pairs mm. of like, yeah. I'm assuming you're in the Cumulus 25 because I know that's coming out soon. Um, as a twice opposed to the 24, which <laughs> was out recently. What was that? I'm on the 23. You're on the 23. Oh my God. I have the 23. <laughs> those right. are, those well, are about done though. Those are about I done. I was going to say. So, and then the Keanu is a very traditional stability shoe. So wh- yep. where, when would you utilize that? And I guess why? I mean, you're as an A6 sponsored athlete, it's not like you don't have a number of options that you could go with. Yeah. Um, I'm a terrible person to ask. And my girlfriend is, I wouldn't say she's mad at me. She's like, how can you just wear whatever you want? So I kind of just wear what feels good. So like, I know that the Cumulus is like a, like a more of a neutral shoe and I run great for my doubles. Um, but, but I do try to structure it in a way. Like I try to make sure that either the Nova Blast or the Kayanos are meant for my longer morning runs. 
and then my recovery runs are done in the stability shoe. And that, but that might not make sense. Um, but for me, it's just like, um, I don't know. I like that kind of setup that I have going. So, so are you in the Nova Blast 3 or the Nova Blast 2? I have to, I feel like I didn't have to ask, but you just told me you're <sighs> in the Cumulus 23. So now I feel like I have to ask. <laughs> I'm in actually the 3, yes. I, I did purchase the 3 and I, I like them a lot. So, yeah. Oh, you purchased the 3? Did you, did, yeah. did, did you really purchase the 3 or they just sent them to you? Uh, well, you have like an account and you like purchase it through like the account website. Oh, okay. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like having like a gift card. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I was a big fan. I love the Nova Blast one. It was one of my favorite shoes. I've, okay. talk, talk, yeah. I've told people this, like I almost never got to 50 miles with it because that on first, at first blush, they were like so propulsive and unstable <laughs> i was like i don't think this isn't gonna work great and so mm. like I, I wore them for like two runs and then i shelved them literally and figuratively and then i went back i'm like i bought these shoes i, I should at least try <laughs> you know i think you know give these a, a fair shot it was funny after i hit 50 miles with them they like lost like two percent of their aggression of their aggression and then i was like oh my god i can't get enough of these <laughs> shoes anymore like i want to wow. use these on speed days because they were like so propulsive yeah. and it seems like they are less aggressive i haven't tried the three i, I do have the two and i feel like the two is the opposite like i need to like to break in the two before like mm-hmm. it like kind of you know had that same effect but i've been a big yeah. fan of uh of asics in the past for sure so i actually had the yeah. metaspeed sky the original oh wow i still have those too i'm kind of like hoarding them just in case i, I like that the orange sunset color that's the one i had Is so yeah i always yeah. wondered though because like that this seemed like the sky is very similar to the edge plus sky is very i think you know yeah, I, mean? like I, the, do, I, I think so yeah yeah. I mean, when, I, the edge, when the Edge Plus came out, I was looking at the stats. I'm like, these are the same stats are in the Sky, the original, <laughs> yeah. not the Sky Plus. But it was like it yeah. seemed like they yeah. had like that they they were similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's all in our head. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I liked them. I, they they were fast. For me, I, they were too. The plate the plate was so firm. Because I'm a four foot striker, but I'm not fast okay. enough to engage it at marathon pace. I see. It's like it was more like a 5K, 10K shoot for me. Um, as opposed to like, I know for heel strikers, the fir- they like the firm plate because it just like rolls them through. Right. Whereas like for me, like, I, anyway, who cares about Matt Chidman's running technique? So <laughs> let me just quickly move on. So um, we're going to talk again before Boston. Uh, you've run yep. Boston before. What's the travel schedule like for you for race week? You know, the race is on Monday. When do you mm-hmm. normally like to fly in and do whatever you need to do for that weekend? I think this this year we're taking a little bit different approach. We're leaving like a day or two later. So like I won't get into Boston until like Friday, uh, which is good. I want to utilize as much time as I can at altitude. Um, and... I don't know. I think just like being in my routine more. Um, and not that I can't get in my routine in Boston, uh, but just be kind of being away from everyone and secluded. It really helps me. So flying in on Friday um, and then essentially having two days like a normal, like a New York City race, you know, um, I flew in like Thursday night at like midnight and I had Friday, Saturday and then there was race day Sunday. So I felt like taking a similar approach has always has always worked. So yeah, leaving Friday and then doing everything I need to. And it's kind of hard to get out of Mammoth, too. So I have to take that extra day to drive to L.A. So that's a six-hour endeavor. So, And then 
How much does time zones play a part in this calculus? Because when you're going from west to east, and then all of a sudden the race day logistics are early in the morning, all of a sudden they can really mess with potential time schedules. Like I remember when I've done the opposite, going from east to west, I actually relished the idea. I'm like, hey, I have to wake up mm. at four. That's fine. That's seven o'clock East Coast time. This isn't a problem for me. Right. But I right. can imagine the opposite being less advantageous. Yeah. You know, Coach Andrew's always shared with me, like, when you're fit, you're fit. Now, unless you're going like across seas, that's a little different. But I, I mean, we do, we do, we do travel two days before, like, I don't know, they, what do they say, like, uh, a day for every hour ahead or, or something like that. So I'm giving myself two days. And that, that's plenty. I mean, but but when you're fit, you're fit, you know, you're ready to get to the start line and, and do whatever it takes. Yeah, no, I like it for sure. Now, do you buy do you like to do stuff the day after Boston? I know some people like to go to like the Red Sox games or they like, yeah. hey, I'm in a city and there's like all the best runners are here. Like I might as well kind of make the most <laughs> of it. Do you normally like to try to do stuff after the race? Yeah, if I can walk like last year, Boston, oh, I was such a, it was hard to walk around town and it was cold. Like that day was just really freezing. So I didn't do too much besides go out with my family. Um, but if I can, I'm feeling like up to it. I'll definitely like whatever Whatever it is, as long as there is a glass of wine, I am all for it. So I love it. I love it. If BYU could see you now, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't know. <laughs> funny. Nico Montanez, thank you so much for doing this. We'll talk again right before the race. Uh, good luck with training, and I can't wait to talk to you then. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Hear more of this amazing goodness over on the Road to the Trials feed. Go check that out today. Going to be doing a ton of Boston stuff over the next month. Big shout out to Vacation Races and Lagoon for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you check out the show notes for all the links, and all the codes to all of our sponsors. Uh, big shout out to both of them, that is for sure. So thank you so much for listening and happy running.